You don't fight. Your friend fights. She's not here anymore. You follow the rules, you become an officer. We're the only thing holding this all together. Riley! Where have you been? I will tell you everything. You have to come with me for a few hours. You trust me, right? Open your eyes. Tonight, I'm going to show you the four wonders of the mall. If you come back, we could be running things. We're like the future. You have Firefly? Yes, Ellie, put it down. None of this shit was even about me. Get ready to run. Welcome to the Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by... Amir Jure. And Eric Wong. So this week we are recording our penultimate episode of the season, covering The Last of Us. We will be talking about episodes six and seven of the first season titled Kin and Left Behind. Episode six is once again written by Craig Mazin, while episode seven sees the return of series and game creator Neil Druckmann with a solo writing credit. He was last seen co-writing the pilot with Mazin. And episode six is directed by Yasmila Zvanich, who's most well-known for directing the 2020 war drama Quo Vadis Ida. And episode seven is directed by Liza Johnson, who I'm uh, not as familiar with. Should we just dive right into these two episodes, talk a little bit about our feelings in general, and then go into the episodes in detail? Yeah, so... I feel like the buzz around this show is dying down a little bit. I don't know what you guys are seeing online, but I feel like the chatter is not quite as fervent as it was maybe since episode three. Episode three was like the fever pitch with the Bill and Frank episode. But since then, I haven't been seeing a lot of coverage or memes or (laughs) discussion about the show as it was previously. What have you guys been seeing? I don't hear about too, too many people talking about it, like at work or whatever, just like random samples of people. I don't know too many people who are super into it, hanging on every episode. Um, it's definitely not like Game of Thrones level or something, right? And I think episode three was kind of a high mark in terms of quality of the show and excitement. Yeah. I'd agree things have kind of fallen off since then. Yeah. I was a little surprised because I feel like there would be as many fans of this as House of the Dragon. I feel like the buzz was there. I don't know. What about you, Derek? What have you been seeing? What have you been hearing? I mean, I think for me, I don't actively go out and seek a bunch of memes or like articles, but I've seen a couple articles still written about like the last two episodes. So it's not Uh like... I don't think media has abandoned no, it No, I don't think it's been abandoned. It's still popular. Yeah. After the first couple of episodes, you know, I haven't seen many reports on like viewership. Even up to I think episode five, viewership was going up and up and up. But yeah, I mm. haven't seen those reports, at least the last two episodes. So yeah, maybe you're right. But it's also, if you're in for the ride by now, I don't think you're getting off. Yeah. I don't think the episodes have been of any kind of quality that would make me worry that anyone is like... Just because people aren't talking about it doesn't mean people are not watching it. I think my frustrations have been the same since the beginning. It hasn't been, like, a disaster by any means. I actually think the show, like, has glimmers of brilliance, but it's kind of frustrating because, I don't know, it's always just shy of being incredible. There's just things that are holding it back, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think the pacing is a huge issue with the show. The inability for it to let anything like really 
breathe for more than an episode. Like, the number of little standalone aside episodes is a lot for this first season, and it's kind of interrupting the flow of the main relationship. Like, we say this every week, but, like, I don't know. I feel like Joel is really getting the short shrift here, seven episodes into the first season. Ellie obviously gets more of a spotlight, but he's out of commission for all of episode seven again, and we have another... Like, how many heartbreaking tragedy flashbacks can we get in one season? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, it's really, really good, but it makes you, like, realize how weak the other stuff is. And, like, some of the stuff in these standalone episodes, you realize uh, you don't really care about the zombies, even, or the Fireflies or Fedra. They don't really flesh any of that stuff out. So, like, some of the character development in that is weaker, too, like, with Riley's character... And you just don't really care about those conflicts. But, like, the interpersonal stuff is fantastic with between, mm-hmm. like, Ellie and Riley. I mean, we'll get to that. But I still think, like, my anthology series idea a couple episodes back was a good one. I think with these last two episodes, I've put my foot down on that. I think with episode six, Tommy's little uh, Jackson hideaway utopia is a good little thing you can explore in a standalone episode. This whole Riley-Ellie thing, too. You know what I mean? I don't know. What do you guys think? So, I don't like this show that much. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Okay, that's not to say it's bad, but I realized when I was getting ready to this episode, I was like, I'm not looking forward to watching episodes six and seven. I'm not like, ooh, Sunday night, like time to watch My Last of Us. The way I was with, I don't know, Andor, House of the Dragon, just, you know, last year. So I'm not, like, looking forward to it the way I looked forward to their shows. Um, that's not to say it's bad, but I'm not, ooh, like, eagerly anticipating, salivating over watching it. But I will say, I think episodes six and seven do a better job of patching up some of the things that I thought were weaknesses. I think six mm. finally allows Pedro Pascal to do some acting and, like, that's open true. up the character of Joel a little bit. And you're able to see all these these sort of interesting depths to the guy that I at least wasn't seeing previously. And then, of course, episode seven is an Ellie highlight um, yeah. with that other flashback. You know, by the end of the series, they've got to bring us to a place where utterly convinced of this Joel-Ellie relationship. And I think they're getting there. I think Six especially did a lot of work in that regard in showing us a lot about Joel and then also showing us how tightly Ellie has become bonded to him. I do think the three-month flash-forward is kind of a cheat. Their relationship did not really change that much between the title cards, like, before and after, right? (laughs) Oh, I mean, I didn't even really register. Like, I saw it, but it didn't register to me as a meaningful thing until you just brought it up. So, yeah, I would agree. The relationship doesn't change drastically. I think more happens in that relationship in the couple of days that they're in Jackson than the actual three months that pass between the title cards. Right? Mm-hmm. I think that's well, where I'm at with the Joel and Ellie relationship. That's good. They're showing us. Showing instead of telling, right? Yeah. Right? They're not just, oh, three months passed. Now they're like father and daughter. Like, all right, cool. Like, at least they're showing it to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think the time jump is something that comes from the games. But also, you have to believe that there's enough time that they've gotten from like point A to point B, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just say, oh, one day we're in Kansas City and a couple days we're in Wyoming. Right? Like, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Or King's Landing. Right. 
Yeah, <laughs> right? I mean, I was going to bring that up. That was kind of an issue with... The travel time and the cheating. The yeah. travel time in Game of Thrones. Like, people realize, well, aren't these things... When the series first began, it took them a month to get from King's Landing to Winterfell. And then all of a sudden, it's, oh, I'll get there in like a day. I do agree with your statement about... It feels like they took a pause a little bit, especially it's really obvious Ellie, like three months later, decides to bring up Henry and Sam again, right? Like we just watched the episode of Henry and Sam and then now she wants to talk about Henry and Sam. So it's like it's really convenient and it's a tie between the two episodes, but it does kind of make it stand out that in this three months you haven't mentioned it at all. Like you guys haven't talked about Sam and Henry at all. Like, so yeah, I, I get it. I get it. But I mean, I do think that them showing us things like Joel's panic attacks, for us it's coming out of nowhere, but then... You can believe that maybe these have been happening like more and more, right, for him. And that's something that's probably been happening the last three months. The more he's cared about Ellie, it's like becoming more present to him that, you know, if he's not adequate enough, another girl under his watch is going to die. Because the panic attacks are not really in the games. That Mm -hmm. was, I think, a nice little detail. Pedro Pascal acted the shit out of that. He was good. Like, I agree with Amir. This was definitely his episode to shine. And I think he kind of does. Mm-hmm. You know, I like the moment even before they get to Jackson where they're just talking about what they want to do. Or initially says he wants to be a sheep farmer and then Ellie talks about wanting to be, you know, an astronaut, right? That's something she'll never get to do in this current world, but maybe once it's a cure. And I love the small detail that he knows exactly which astronaut she's talking about. Hmm. Like he knows her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, those small details, those small little conversations, I think really help to create that bond between mm-hmm. them further push that bond along and i mean i really like these two episodes for their character development i think there's a lot of like character stuff in here and like you've kind of already mentioned jeff i think it's pretty strong with joel and ellie in this episode six and then riley and ellie in episode seven i will say that episode six i think is a really strong episode it is probably one of my favorites so far of the season But I will say that I have a lot of critiques about episode seven. It's actually not one of my favorites. Oh, Oh, really? Interesting, because I think I put six and seven right below three for me so far. Mm -hmm. Yeah. These two, like, are, I think, the best the show's been. That's interesting. All right. I'm very interested to hear what you're going to say. Yeah, that's interesting. I do think episode seven is good, craft level, and like I said, the character development. But I think, you know, my own bias is coming a lot from like what. And Jeff, you'll understand this, but like what I experienced in the games, my experience with the games was just better than my experience with this particular episode. And we can get into those details. Yeah. Because I think the consensus is that seven is really, really good just off of uh, Bella Ramsey and Storm Reed alone. Yeah. But I don't know. I haven't played the game. So correct me if I'm wrong. Episode seven is an adaptation of the DLC and it takes the same name, correct? Left Behind. Is that what it is? Yes. Yes. So that whole DLC is like a flashback between... It's really interesting because anyone who doesn't know video games, DLC, you know, it's a downloadable content. And usually these are things that are like add-ons to a game. Most people played this after you played the main game. The beginning of this DLC, you had to reposition where you were in the game. There's a time where Joel gets injured in the game, not like he does in the show, and we'll get into that, but he does get injured pretty badly and there's definitely like a time jump in the game (laughs) in the game ellie has like a bow and arrow and you're like where does she get this bow and arrow you're just in this forest hunting and you don't know if joel's alive and there's definitely been some passage of time Mm -hmm. but then the dlc shows you what happened during that time how she gets that bow and arrow and like what she does to get joel from being injured at this college to 
point B where they're held up in a, a house, right? In the garage of a house. Mm. So chronologically, this is exactly where the DLC is. So that's why they put this episode here. It is because it's after he gets injured and before the, you know, the events of episodes eight and nine coming. Mm. But before we get into episode seven, I do want to keep focusing on episode six. What's really interesting about episode six is that it's a little bit of a departure from the game. So the games you do, again, meet up with Tommy, you meet his wife, Maria, and you meet the people of Jackson, but you never actually enter the city of Jackson. The whole piece of this game, you are actually at the dam. It all takes place at the dam. And you are trying to help Tommy and his people repower the dam so that you can repower Jackson. Mm. So it's really interesting that a lot of the same story beats happen, like the confrontation between Tommy and Joel, the whole bit between Ellie and Joel at the end of this episode that happens during this segment. But it all takes place outside of the city of Jackson. This is a little bit of spoiler. So if you want to skip ahead a minute, you don't have to hear this if you don't want to. You don't actually see the city of Jackson until the second game. Mm. That's a little bit of a departure from the games. But I honestly really loved it. I really loved being in Jackson, like showing this different commune, right? As Mary calls it, you know, there's a church, there's a schools, there's mess halls, there's a place where they can watch movies. So I thought that was really cool. What did you guys think of seeing a different part of this world? Yeah, I liked it. I mean, I think Rutina Wesley does a good job as Maria. Good mm -hmm. to see Tara from True Blood back on the <laughs> HBO screens. Yeah. I don't know. It's good to see Tommy. Tommy looks like a supermodel compared to Joel. He's like, <laughs> I don't know, fucking well-groomed with a beard and all his hair is black. Joel looks completely fucked up. Time has treated Tommy well. I don't know about <laughs> yeah. Joel. Yeah, it's good to see Gabriel Luna back as Tommy. Yeah, I like this little uh, aside in Jackson. So how long has it been since Joel and Tommy have seen each other? A couple of months? No, I would say years, right? I think there's something closer to years, yeah. It's years that Tommy's been out of touch or whatever. I don't know. I got the impression they were like, oh, Tommy's no longer talking on the radio. Better go check out what's up. Like, I, I didn't think yeah. it was like, oh, I haven't seen you in years. Holy shit, you're married and have a kid on the way? Like, I don't know. I'm just trying to get a sense of the time. So, I think the timeline is that they haven't physically seen each other in years, but they have talked on the radio. Got it. Okay, that makes right? sense. Because I think there's a line, Tommy joins the Fireflies and is taken away from Boston because of that. And they haven't seen each other, but they still have talked on the radio. It's only recently, like within the last couple of months, that Tommy's kind of like you know, gone AWOL from the radio and that's what worries Joel and that's what prompts him to want to leave in the first episode, right? Is to find out what happened to Tommy. Because mm -hmm. he thinks he needs saving because if he hasn't heard from him for a while, then he might be in danger. So yeah, I think that's my best guess of their situation in the last couple of years. One of the things that this show keeps teasing, but not really showing us or giving us a good sense of, and I don't know if this is a different in the game, but like, I feel like you're supposed to believe that Joel is like kind of a piece of shit. He's a murderer. He's kind of selfish, you know, like after his daughter's death. But I don't know. They're not really selling me on that, <laughs> uh, especially with like the actions on the show. But they like try to paint his sordid past. Does the game do a better job of showing his rougher edges or? I, I mean, I would say no. No. You're supposed to believe that, you know, last 20 years wasn't easy for him, but also right. for anyone. It's kind of like their conversation that they have at the bar where he doesn't blame Joel for what he did, right? Mm -hmm. He, in essence, did the same things. You know, they murdered people. 
but they thought that's what they had to do to get by, right? Mm. But I do think that, like you're saying, and I think you're hitting it nail on the head a little bit, is that there is a difference between like Tommy and Joel, which I don't know if it's that explicit in the games, but definitely in the show, I think they are trying to paint Tommy as this follower. But in a way, he's always been trying to do good. Mm -hmm. He joined the army. He joined the Fireflies because he thought it was a good cause. And now he's with these people, right? This commune. But Joel's always been the person that looks out for himself. Mm -hmm. But his family too, like that's his pact, right? He looked out for Tess. He's always wanted to look out for Tommy. And then now he's looking out for Ellie. And, you know, we saw that really early in the game, but also early in the series. You know, when they're driving into the city and that family's like, help us. Tommy's like, we should stop and help him. They have kids. Joel's like, no, we're not stopping. Someone will come. That's very much him. You know what I mean? He's not a bad guy. He's not like running people over, but he's not taking the time to like stop and help them. My issue is that... There's no central hook for me to, like, invest myself into. And I think that's kind of hitting on what Amir is saying. Like, it's hard to be like, oh, I'm super excited for this show to air on Sunday. And it's like appointment viewing when, I don't know, the central conflict just isn't really there for me. This Fedra Firefly stuff is weak tea. You get two episodes in a row when you're supposed to feel something where... Oh, you know, like Tommy joined the Fireflies and then in episode seven, Riley joined the Fireflies. But I don't really give a shit about the Fireflies or like Fedra or like their beef with each other. It's not fleshed out or shown enough for me to like actually care about that. And I know the show wants you to care, but I'm just not there. You know what I mean? I mean, I'll push back on this. I don't know if the show really wants you to care because I don't because <laughs> I don't think the game wanted you to care either. As much as they're not really a presence in this show, they're really not that much of a presence in the game either. But I think the game gets a pass, though. That's just how these little factions work in the game, where Mm -hmm. they are thinly written to drive the action in the game. Which I think is a lot more forgivable than, like, something on a TV show that you passively watch, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I get it. I think speaking with definitely more knowledge than anyone who hasn't played the game it's like if you're not already in it i think the hook is ellie and joel right like Mm. and we've been kind of saying back and forth over and over again like you know when is it going to hit for you know whoever it is that's watching the show like you have to be invested in these two characters i think the show is trying not to be too heavy-handed but maybe it's not succeeding in laying out if the cure actually happens then these two people might be able to have a life together as like a real family this idea of talking about their dreams like what they want to do just talking about something as simple as like football right or like bacon and bourbon Mm -hmm. if the cure comes back then these things that they're talking about are like meaningful, right? They're not having these just wasted conversations in a way. Mm -hmm. I think that's partially part of the hook. I kind of agree. I don't know if the show is exactly succeeding in that because like I know what's going to happen and I know where it's getting. But if you guys saying that you don't have a draw in, then that's a problem. I definitely can't tell you that you're wrong. I think a lot of the people watching the show are people who have played the game. So... Mm -hmm. They know what's coming, and maybe that's, like, the draw for them, like, with you, right? Yeah. I'm excited to see this happen. I'm excited to see this happen. But, yeah, for me, who's never played the game, it's a little remote for me. Like, why are you watching this? The acting and the production value and, like, the character work, that's what's getting me to come back. But it's missing that piece for me where it's, like, the impetus or the propulsiveness behind another show that, I don't know, say something like House of the Dragon, you know? Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of impressive stuff about the show that I really, really do like. I don't think it's by any means bad, like Amir said. 
But yeah, like episode six, I found myself really interested to see how this community works. I wish we got a little more of that. It also spent the episode like working the Ellie Joel stuff, which also really works for me. So it's funny if you listen to the, like the official podcast for this show, they talk about this episode being really heavy on battling through dialogue, right? It's mm-hmm. a lot of confrontations between multiple people. You know, like Maria and Ellie have a little tiff in the middle of the episode, right? And Tommy and Joel have a little back-to-back. And then the big one is between Joel and Ellie. I thought those two scenes were really great. You know, we've already praised Pedro Pascal. That scene where he breaks down in front of Tommy, I thought was just amazing. Mm-hmm. I really love that bit of acting that he was given in that scene. Yeah, no, I agree. I quite liked that bit. I thought that this episode actually opened... Joel up a little bit instead of just like the, you know, stoic warrior kind of asshole that Jeff was pointing out. You actually could see like, oh, this is a human guy. And I guess maybe this is a fault of the show in the way, but I didn't realize – maybe I'm just dumb. I don't know. It's either the first fault or my fault, but like I didn't realize before episode six that Joel was starting to like – feel his age and feel like he wasn't going to be able to protect Ellie. Like, I got obviously the connection between them and that he wants to protect her and the whole surrogate daughter thing, but I didn't realize that he felt he was losing a step and wasn't going to be able to do it. Is, is that something that's been laid out before in the show? I think it's Ellie realizing that he can't hear out of one ear. I think that's why they had the bits about him not being able to climb as many stairs. Mm-hmm. There is something there about them trying to establish that, like, Joel is older, that he's not the same person that he was 20 years ago, right? There is a lot, like you said, in this episode that points it out. He spells it out. Tommy's like, hey, there's a kid that got a jump on me. And five years ago, I would have murdered him so easily, but I didn't hear him. They were trying to lay it subtly in the past, but really hammered home this episode. And then we also have this really emotional scene between Joel and Ellie. This is pretty much like ripped right out of the game. A lot of the dialogue is the same. And it is a really tense moment where they're at odds. And I think the show plays it a little more like Joel's too old and he thinks he can't do this. Where I feel like the games play it more like, not that he doesn't want to, but he feels like he's getting a little too close to Ellie. Mm -hmm. And he is afraid that what happened to Sarah is going to happen to Ellie. So there is that just fear of not wanting to get too attached because he doesn't want to lose all over again. Yeah. And I think that's still pretty present in the show. Like, yeah, for sure. Um, what did you guys think of the scene? This stuff works for me. I just think on the strength of Bella Ramsey and Pedro Pascal's performance alone, I love in the morning when Tommy's supposed to take Ellie. Joel's like in the stables waiting. And he's like, listen, I'm going to give you a choice. And she's like, let's go. You know, like she yeah. throws in the saddle. <laughs> yeah. I love that little moment. Bella Ramsey in particular is doing a great job um, really shading in Ellie and like getting a sense of her personality in both this episode and the next. I think she's doing a great job. From someone who's played the game, she's doing a really good job. And honestly, I really like Pedro Pascal's Joel too. And then the last set piece that we get for ending off this episode is they end up at the University of Eastern Colorado. This is where Tommy told them where he heard the fireflies would be. But it looks like they've left and they've marked on this location in Utah at St. Mary's Hospital. And it looks like a couple different Firefly outposts or whatever converge here. 
one from Seattle, there's one from LA, and there's one from Mexico, it looks like. I mean, the Seattle one is a little bit of a Easter egg for part two, because a majority of the part two game takes place in Seattle. And then episode ends with some raiders showing up at conveniently at the same time they're there. And as Joel and Ellie try to sneak out, they're about to get on their horse and they get ambushed by one of the guys. He swings at Joel, breaks the bat along the tree. Joel gets behind the guy, snaps his neck, but it's already too late. The guys stab Joel in the stomach with this broken shard of like a baseball hilt. You know, they escape, but shortly after Joel collapses, falls off the horse, and then you're left with this really great scene from Bella Ramsey where she's just crying over Joel and and saying like, don't die. I can't do this if you die. Yeah, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I want to ask Amir something. If you get stabbed with a broken bat, you should probably leave it in, no? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know about that. It depends on what the injury. I don't know, dude. I don't know anything about Does it really depend? I feel like the advice... Common advice. The common advice is you leave it in, no? Yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't have advised you to take it out, but I don't know. Dude. This is the <laughs> fucking post-apocalyptic zombie fungus world. Like, who knows? Yeah. Even more reason to leave it in. What are you going to do? How are you going to stop the bleeding? How are you going to stitch that shit up? Yeah, it looks like a gigantic wound versus uh, what she's stitching up later. Yeah, it doesn't look so bad later on, right? I thought that was kind of funny. Interesting. Um, yeah, those guys weren't particularly, like, scary bad guys or anything. We've seen, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. cooler Raider-type guys with the uh, Episode Five, yeah, in Kansas City. or um, oh, like Kathleen's Bandits or yeah, whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were those guys fireflies or just random douchebags? No, those are raiders. Because I don't think the fireflies are, like, hostile like that. I don't know. Yeah. No. I think this was just an excuse to get Joel stabbed and out of commission for episode seven. So should we talk about episode seven? Yeah. So let's dive into episode seven, right? We see that Ellie has dragged Joel to some kind of house in some kind of suburban neighborhood or something and pulled up in this garage. I don't know how she did that, by the way. Joel's like a 200-pound dude. Like, maybe use a horse, I guess? I don't know. If you look at it, the horse probably dragged them, but then there looks like there's some kind of, what, sleeping bag that's been bloodied up. So it looks like she probably got him on a bag and was able to, like, just drag him along the snow. Mm. I think that's how I imagine it. Or put him over the side of the saddle of the horse and, like, have him go on the horse? Like... Yeah. Oh, I don't know if that's good. But <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I really do like this scene right at the beginning where she's trying to do what she can to save Joel. But, you know, he's accepted his fate and thinks he's going to die and just tells Ellie, like, just try to go back. Go find Tommy and leave him there to die. And then as Ellie's going upstairs to either leave or figure out what she's going to do, it flashes back to Ellie when she's still in Fedra school. If you think about the timeline of the show... I think it was episode one, it was established that like Ellie was held there for almost two weeks, right? By the fireflies to make sure she doesn't turn. And if this is the inciting incident that gets her bit, then, well, this is maybe like, what, two weeks before the start of the show. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't think about that. But yeah, that's got to be right. That makes sense. She's having a hard time. She's kind of a loner in school. So these Fedra schools are basically like they take kids. And they put them through this process to, you know, make them either officers or just security guards, right? And this is canon from the game. Like, she was in Fedra school with Riley. Riley was her roommate and, you know, her best friend. Riley does end up leaving at one point and comes back to grab her and takes her to this mall. Mm -hmm. There's some fun stuff before we get to the mall. Them finding that guy and, you know, finding the bottle of whiskey. Her revealing... 
you know, that she's a firefly now and that's where she's been. I don't want to get too much into the differences between the show and the games yet. I kind of want to just talk about the episode as is, and then I can deep dive a little bit some of the differences and why I enjoy the game more, but let's just keep going. So I have a question for you guys. How much do you believe that no one actually saw that this mall got lit up? Yeah, eh, I bought it for the sake of the episode. Yeah. I like said that. Presumably the whole building isn't lit up. Like they're inside, I don't know, enclosed part of the mall, I guess, that's lit up. Yeah, I mean like maybe yeah. the outside lights are like weathered down by the elements. Like who the fuck knows, you know? Like, yeah. I, yeah. I, I bought it. Yeah, it was yeah, totally yeah. fine that, by that me. That didn't bug like, totally whatever. Fine. Okay. No, it didn't yeah. bug me. One thing – I don't know about it. Here's where I wish we had a female guest, or a lesbian guest, a bi guest, somebody, a uh, woman to talk about this. Did the activities that they do in the mall seem like typical girl activities? So Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann kind of talk about this episode as this is kind of your tropey, like, what if you skipped school for a day episode? Mm-hmm. For them, back in like what the 80s, 90s, or whatever, that would have been go to the mall, going to the right, mall, yeah, you know. And at the malls, there's like carousels, there's the arcade. Like, I remember going to the mall and playing arcade. This partially was very nostalgic for me in a sense, too. You know, I remember playing like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat and okay. all that stuff. So, but like, you're a dude, yes. So, you're talking mm-hmm. about the time displacement of the mall and the mall not being like as much of a thing anymore in 2023. In this digital world, and but it was a thing that existed in the eighties and nineties, and we're nostalgic for it. And like this is a kind of an interesting throwback to that in a post-apocalyptic world. And I get that. I'm talking about like the gender nonconformity of it, and not in like a judging way or whatever. But in my head, I was like, the stuff they do. I mean, I guess maybe it's just the Mortal Kombat two thing that stood out to me. Mm-hmm. But I was like, that's like an interesting choice of a thing for them to do is to go play Mortal Kombat two. So. This episode, I'll mention some of the other ones too. This episode has been heavily hinted throughout this whole series. There are so many things that if you look back, almost each episode before this has hinted to something like you're going to see. Yeah. Like the Mortal Kombat 2. I totally realize that. Mortal Kombat 2, the pun book. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. The big one is the Mortal Kombat 2 machine that we find, what is episode 3, I think, at the gas station. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. So, like, she and Riley do have a fascination with, apparently, this game, right? They have a poster of it. So, I think that this is something that maybe not all girls would have loved, but I think Ellie would have loved. Okay. The violence of it all, probably their shared interest of it, especially having a poster on there. Yeah, it it wasn't, like, incongruous or anything, but it just struck me later on. I was like, is this a... And I don't know, which is, like, why I'm asking you, is, is this a true-to-life? Like, I don't know how to put it. Like, is this just men writing female characters as mm. the boys that they were at that age? Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, okay. Like, specifically the Mortal Kombat stuff. Yeah. Is that what you're talking like, about? Is it the nostalgia thing taken to a level where you go, oh, does this actually fit the characters? I never really thought about it that way. I think it's interesting because yeah. the mm-hmm. writers are all men, at least for this episode. I don't know about the game, but I think it's kind of funny that you mentioned that. But in general, I read all of this as mostly platonic until I saw like the stolen glances with Ellie yeah, more than it's... Riley. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Also, like, I want to ask you something, Derek. So, Ellie being either gay or bisexual, 
I mean, that's in the game, right? So why are people mad yes. about this shit now? Are people I, mad I about know. it? I didn't even know that was a <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, they're like, oh, why are you making her gay? Like, that's the way it is in the game. So why are you mad about that? They're just adapting faithfully what the game is. So why are people still mad about it? I don't understand. I don't know. I didn't I don't even either. know this was a I controversy. It's just, I think it's not even worth discussing. Like, that's stupid. So, yeah, I think it's stupid, too. Well, if they play the second game, it's in there. There's no way to avoid it. But... I guess if you've only played the first game and you've never played the DLC. Oh, the DLC. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then maybe you can get away with saying like, oh, I didn't catch the hints. But it, yeah, it's not really explicit until the DLC where you like see this day she had with Riley and they do share the kiss at the end of the game too, or at the end of that DLC. So that made it very explicit that she is gay. And so I, I don't know. Yeah. Nah, let's not give these people any time. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm on that one, Derek. I did like the tension in this episode. I was mm-hmm. watching with Ashley, and she's like, when's the other shoe going to drop on this? Mm-hmm. Riley's definitely toast, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they show you the fungus zombie, yeah. you know, attached to the wall yeah, in the yeah, other yeah. shop or whatever. So you know but it's even coming. before then, even before then. It's not going to be a happy ending. Yeah. You know it's not going to work out, right? Yeah. 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 Also, it follows the pattern of introducing characters that you really love and then just killing them that same episode. You got Bill yeah. and Frank. You got Sam and Henry. Well, I mean, kind of Kathleen only really had a short arc. Yeah. Uh, hey, Tommy lives. Tommy lives. <laughs> For now. No. <laughs> That's true. I, that is one thing I actually really liked about. I know we're jumping backwards. I did like about episode six that they didn't like destroy Jackson Hole or something and like ooh I was really yeah, like, worried I'm that glad they didn't do that dumb shit Jackson. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad they didn't yeah. do something stupid like that. Like it's cool that you're able to yeah. just have this little commune and let it be. That was nice. Sorry. Yeah. But yeah. We're skipping back a little bit. I do like that line where Tommy's like you guys have a home here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bet on it. I do really like that sweet moment between the two brothers. Having never played the game, I was watching episode 6. I was like, "Wow, wow Jackson's fucking toast by the end of this episode." <laughs> But uh, I'm glad they subverted that. That's a good call. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Good, good. (laughs) Another funny thing about episode six, just because we're talking about it again, is I like that Tommy didn't realize he was a communist. (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah, that was pretty funny. funny, (laughs) The look on his face is like, wait a minute. (laughs) That's a good line. Yeah, it's funny. But uh, yeah, back to seven and the mall. I mean, I totally bought this relationship between the two of them. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought it was really convincing. It really worked for me. Um, It's really cute. Very, like, you can see how, like, Ellie's a misfit. I don't know how well Riley fit in, but, you know, two post-apocalyptic misfits living after the apocalypse could be drawn to each other like this. I thought it was a really good story. I don't know. I I really bought that relationship. You know, like, you could say, oh, it's, like, manipulative or, you know, whatever. But I, Mm -hmm. I, I thought it totally worked for me. I thought it was really, really yeah. sad. In just an episode, they draw the relationship out enough for you to be sad when it ends at the end of the episode. Yeah. yeah. I think it does a really good job of just – now, like, if you look back at the episodes, you start to realize all the times that Bella Ramsey has some kind of, like, pain in her eyes. You know, there's – I think it's episode four or five where she's said, like, oh, it's not the first time she's killed somebody. Uh-huh. Right, mm-hmm. or she shot somebody. The tragic thing is, it's probably Riley that she's talking about. I didn't even read it that way. And then in episode two, when Anna Torv's like, "Oh, is there a boyfriend?" and she has that kind of look. No, no boyfriend. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's all these little clues that you can look back and now you you know see some of the choices I think she's made with the character, like as the seasons progress. And it's a cool little thing to go back and see that with her character, which I really enjoyed. 
All right, so I'm going to predict that one of your issues is how ambiguous their ending is. No, because it says it's ambiguous in the games. Oh, is it? It pretty much cuts exactly where it cuts, where, you know, she lays out the two options, and then Ellie's like, what's option three? You're just kind of left to imagine what happened, right? And you know what happens, you know, Riley probably turns and she doesn't, mm-hmm. right? So that's why, like, those couple episodes back when she said she's hurt someone before, like, oh, that's probably Riley. Mm. Being really more explicit about, like, you know, in that moment, she's probably had to put Riley down. The really iconic line from the DLC is, you know, let's be poetic and shit and lose our minds together. That's what they planned to do. They were just planning to both turn and just be infected together. And, you know, it happened for probably one of them and didn't happen for the other. So it's really, really tragic. I would have liked to see Ellie react to her being immune. But I don't know. It's fine that Mm -hmm. we didn't get to see that. I mean, I do like how... They both react to the situation differently. You know, like Ellie is just so angry and like taking it out on the the case. Yeah. Uh, where Riley's just a little bit more stoic and just accepting her fate. So there's some nice little touches throughout the episode, things they did to make it kind of seem more realistic. Like I liked that Riley slowly reveals over time her quote unquote real reason for leaving Fedra. You know, they, they assigned her mm-hmm. this shit duty that she didn't want. And she kind of couldn't deal with that, and she ran away. And I thought that was an interesting reveal. I did like that. Literally shit do Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I'll be honest. I would fucking leave, too, if they assigned me, like, latrine duty. Fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joining the, the terrorists. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think this does a little bit more elegantly than the game did with drawing a through line between, like, what's happening to Joel and Ellie, and then what happened between Riley and Ellie, right? Riley, the last lesson that she imparts on Ellie is this idea that, yes, maybe we're all going to die, but we just got to cherish the time we have together, right? Like, we just got to keep going until we don't have that time. And that's why she flashes back in that moment, right? When she opens that door and to realize that Joel's physically pushed her away and saying, like, get out of here. Don't try to help me. But she doesn't want to give up on him yet. And... I do think my favorite moment of this episode was the moment she grabs his hand at the end, embracing for a second. No dialogue, no much more than just looks between the two characters. I thought that was so effective. All right. So do you want to get into the reasons that you like the game more? Yeah. Do you get to chill in the mall in the game? Like, do you get to play, like, the games and, like, ride the carousel? And Yeah. So this actually kind of goes hand in hand with what you've been saying this whole time, Jeff. Uh This is kind of the one instance where I don't know if the show entirely did the best job of capturing what it felt like to actually play the game. Interesting. You know, there is a moment you do the photo booth with Riley and it's really cute because you get to pick the background and you actually get to pick the poses. Oh, yeah, that's cool. And like one of the backgrounds is hearts. My last playthrough, I was like, oh, I'm going to choose this one because, you know, I don't remember what I chose the first time. I chose that one because I was like, I knew that they liked each other. And, you know, there's like this cheeky line of, oh, are you trying to woo me? One big change they made was the arcade part and that in the game, the machine doesn't work. Mm. But then you have this really great moment where you take control of the game. Riley tells you to close your eyes. She describes what you should be doing. She's like, block right now guys coming at you do an uppercut it's this really tender moment between them you know this is a little bit different Mm. and not to say this is bad but i don't know i really like that moment in the game and that was kind of lost when they changed it to just be like 
Mortal Kombat 2. Uh, <laughs> okay, now that you mention it, I can understand why, because this just all seems like very much on rails if you've played the games, right? Mm-hmm. You discover these things by yourself, right? Like, if you don't walk to the photo booth, you can't take a picture there, right? Like, it's not like a... No, the game is pretty much on rails. Like, okay, Riley's like, oh, let's go over here and take some photos. Like, it's still on rails in that regard, okay. but... Like, there's still more choice. More choice, yeah. More discovery. Yeah, the more discovery and the choice adds an element that I think was a little bit missed, especially in this episode for me. I mean, it's all stuff you can do in a video game, but you really can't do in a TV show. Yeah, you can't do in a TV show. I think that's what kind of makes the game a little more special in that regard. Yeah, totally understand the whole photo booth thing. Like, that would be too hard to capture. But I think they could have still did the video game thing. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, just have them pretend. You know, like, I still think they could have did that. Yeah. I will say I still liked this episode. It's just, I don't know. It was playing DLC was definitely more impactful. And like, I do think there was something lost a little bit mm. when it got translated to the show. But I'm glad that you guys liked it. I'm really happy that you guys liked it. Cause I mean, I was a little afraid that it was going to be too much like Bill and Frank and it was going to be compared to that. And I don't know if it was going to be able to hold a candle to that episode. So I am glad that you guys really enjoyed this episode. Yeah. Let me just say what a great set, by the way, the dilapidated mall. Yeah, oh my cool. God. Yeah. All the detail that they put into it, the rotting walls, all the trash. But then, like, all the stuff that worked just made it even more like charming and a little less ominous, you know? At least until like, the fucking zombie comes out. But yeah. yeah, they did a great job with the production design here. Made it really seem like an abandoned mall. Yeah. Great stuff. It's really, really cool. Honestly, love the moment where like Bella Ramsey's just playing on an escalator. Yeah. Yeah. That's so sweet. It's cool. Like the idea that like, oh yeah, this is after the apocalypse. She doesn't know what an escalator is. She's never ridden yeah. one. All these things we take for granted in a functioning society she's never seen. Yeah, to talk a little bit about your point earlier, is this written from like a guy's perspective? But you also have to think, these are just kids that have never seen a mall, right? Yeah, like, yeah, they're just having a blast. I get it. Yeah. I am a little sad, Amir, to say that, to hear that you're not excited about every episode of The Last yeah, of Us. Yeah, I'm sorry. But uh, it's no. just like, I remember how I felt with some of these shows we were watching together last year, and I just mm-hmm. I don't have that same feeling every Sunday, you know? Mm. I think not looking forward to it is kind of like a misnomer, at least for me. Every Sunday is like, oh, nice, Last of Us is on. I'm going to watch it, you know? But it's not like, mm-hmm. oh, shit, I have to find out what happens. You know, that's mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. the show is kind of missing for me. Which is not to say that it's not good. I don't know if you're the same way as me, Amir. I'd say I'm like a degree or two cooler on it. And that, like, I didn't see... A degree or two cooler, I didn't yeah. see Seven last night I saw it today, you know? You kind of watch it two episodes at a time, yeah, right? Yeah, I kind of watch in batches, too. Because <laughs> you have to for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I'm kidding. Well, luckily enough, there's only two more oh, episodes. That makes it sound really bad <laughs> when you put it that way. It's not like no, 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 a torture no. experience or anything like that. Uh, I'm enjoying it. It's just, I think I'm I not. I mean, that's a, a more general discussion of like, how should you watch this, right? Who cares if you're watching it two at a time? It worked perfectly last episode we did this, right? Those were like, basically, you should have watched those back to back. Right. Mm. These ones a little bit more separate. They are kind of connected, right? Because you find out right away what happens to Joel, like if Joel's okay or not. But... You know, you guys, you basically kind of take these two episodes as standalones, and you didn't need to watch them back to back. No, but also let me ask you, Amir. Like, you're not actually looking forward to the show, but when you watch, are you like pleasantly surprised? Like, oh, is not bad. You know, I or was is definitely it... like pleasantly surprised by these last two, at least for six, six, or seven. six and seven. Yeah, I like yeah, yeah, these yeah. a bit more, I think, than than some of the other ones. Um, it's not like 
a show I dislike or I'm like bored by or something, right? It's not like a show I mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh, like I'm looking forward to dropping it. You know, uh, I'm a little bit sad that there's only nine episodes, you know? Like when you said it, like we're coming to another <laughs> season. It's like, man, I will miss watching the show to an extent. Mm. It's all right. We got Yellow Jackets. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Yellow Jackets. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. But okay, so I wanted to wait till the very end of this episode to do this because there is a really big Easter egg in episode six that I didn't want to point out yet just because in case anyone really wants to leave right now and like not want to hear this, that's totally fine. But there is a huge character that gets a little bit of a cameo in episode six that is a big part of part two of this game. If you guys remember when Ellie's in the mess hall and then she yells at a girl, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, they don't give her a name. You know, if you look at the credits, don't give her a name. But like anyone who's played part two, that is a character by the name of Dina and she plays a big role in part two so it was such a cool thing to see that little easter egg for us video game fans i like perked up on my chair and i pointed at the screen i was like that's dina <laughs> like you know what I mean? so yeah i thought that was really really cool love that for you just for you guys just a little sneak is that like her new love interest in part two is or- don't say if you if you stayed this long but you still don't want to hear this just- <laughs> <laughs> but yes that is her love interest in oh, part cool. two i'm excited for part two because i don't remember why but i remember part two being really controversial and people being really upset about it for stupid yes. reasons and i'm psyched to see what the fuck they're upset yeah, about I, so yeah i'm excited yeah. for part two i will say that there is a more propulsive component to part two that i think what you guys are saying is kind of missing in part one or, or this season is definitely present in part two yeah i've heard that too i hear like part two is really fucked up i mean up i guess and- we talked about this already jeff but are you completely unspoiled or no not really you kind of have an idea of what's gonna happen in I kind of have you, an idea of what's going to happen. So, me too. I remember when these games were coming out and they were such a big deal. I, like, read about them because I was like, I'm never going to play them. Like, who cares? And then, oops, now I'm, like, ruining yeah, the yeah, show. Yeah. Where, I was the same way. You know? <laughs> now you're yeah, in the show. But, like, not ruined, though, right? Like, I definitely don't remember enough details no. where, you know, like, I read about the plot of this game years ago because it was, you know, whatever. Yeah. It was, like, in the news. And I'm not going to reveal anything. I feel like this is, like, the equivalent of knowing that the red wedding is going to happen. You know what I mean? <laughs> I feel like that's similar. I mean, you mm. could just confirm or deny. You could say yay or nay, right? Does it feel like that? If you're watching the show and you haven't played the games, then the big development of part two is going to come as like a real shock to people. Yeah, definitely. There's something big in part two that was, I mean, you guys are alluding to it. There was like a controversy for the part two. And like, you know, it really bothered some people. I mean, it didn't bother me. So, I actually never read up about the controversy on part two. But when I read about part two, I'm like, this sounds kind of awesome. Like, what are people mad about? You know what I mean? I don't want to get too much into what's coming in part two. But, like, it seems... So, both of you kind of know already what happens in part two also. Not really. Yeah. I I don't... Oh, not really. Okay. I think I might know more. I don't remember exact details. Uh, you can read it or don't keep it that way. I mean, it's up to <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I don't want to like dive too much. And I, I don't know how many people have stuck around for all of this potential spoiler talk. But um, I think that will conclude this week's episode. Uh, Jeff, where can people find more of your work? You can find me on my blog at strangeharbors.com. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at strangeharbors. What about you guys? Oh, you find me looking up the cheats for Mortal Kombat 2. How about you, Derek? Uh, you can find me at the world's okayest photos and screen ages guild on Instagram. If you like this podcast, the easiest way to support our podcast is to subscribe wherever you get this show, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, or any of the other popular podcast apps. 
If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can go ahead and please give us a great rating because it helps to get our podcast out to more people. Yeah, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions about our episode on episode six and seven of The Last of Us, the first season, feel free to shoot us an email at jeff at strangeharpers.com. We like getting listener mail. Sometimes we read it out on the pod. And with that, we will see you guys next week. See you next week, everybody. See you guys then.